Very good. Amarnam Dan. My name is Dan. And uh, I'll have to read this one. Ami Bangladeshke Palubashi. Ami Bangladeshke Palubashi, which is I love Bangladesh in Bangladeshi or in Bengali. Uh, I'll be sharing in a short moment about uh, my trip there recently. Um, I uh, want to draw your attention, because uh, I won't be mentioning them later, to, the, to this artwork um, that is in front of you. These are from uh, a number of the girls at the orphanage, and they gave them to me. I also want to thank those who spoke while I was away or just after returning. Uh, so thank you yeah, to Kevin Gay and to Miranda Valentini who uh, spoke. want to thank you guys for praying um, and forgiving because uh, I wouldn't have been able to go otherwise. Uh, if you took your shoes off, awesome. If you didn't take your shoes off, awesome. But that's one of the traditions there is that as you come into the sanctuary or as you come into a home that you take your shoes off and leave them at the door. And this is a lungi. Okay, so uh, if you were here this morning saying, there's Dan, again, any chance he gets, he, uh, he wears his sarong. You're wrong, because this is a lungi. So uh, I'd like you to check your attitude, please. But it is very, very comfortable. And uh, I now have a growing collection of sarongs and lungi in my house. So if any of you ever want to borrow them, then you are absolutely more than welcome to. Uh, let's, let's just pray and then we'll watch a summary video and then I'll share some thoughts. Lord, I thank you that you are the God of the world, not just Northgore, not just Manatic, not just, you know, Kempville, uh, not just Osgood, not just Richmond, wherever we're from, Lord God, that you aren't only the God of that location, but you are the God of the world. And, uh, Lord, as we, uh, sang this morning, Lord, all of the world uh, shouts your, your praise and uh, reveals your glory. Lord, I pray as we uh, hear what's happening in a different part of the world that, uh, that you would speak and that we would hear your voice. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's watch that video, Andrew. Okay, that's the, that, that was the most I could pack into 10 minutes rather than explaining a bunch of stuff. I wanted to show you so that you could see the riot of color and culture and food and uh, all the wonderful people that were there. And I just want to explain quickly that those last groups of folks that I showed as that song was playing at the end, those people are all part or... Um, are all part of what the Wesleyan Church is doing in Bangladesh. So you might look at them and think, well, they look Hindu, right? Because the ladies are wearing the saris, you know, you know, in the bindi spot. But, uh, but those are all uh, members of the Wesleyan Churches or maybe pastors of the Wesleyan Churches or the children in the orphanages which the Wesleyan Church is running. So some incredible things there. When you travel um, over 12,000 kilometers from home to visit another culture entirely, it's odd that someone would call their travel log of that epic journey coming home. 
Is it really home with the squat toilets and the rice and the dal with the, uh, with the easy bikes and the three-wheelers instead of Dodge caravans and trucks? Is it home with the four-way stop being replaced by zero street signs in the capital city so when you reach a major intersection at the same time as 70 other vehicles from multiple different ways? It's literally a case of may the bravest win. Is it home with a sour-tasting fruit or the drink that tastes like Worcestershire sauce? Is it home with the girl squatting for a quick bathroom break in the drain outside the mosque? Is it home with the mum jeans and the plaid being replaced by saris or sharis and the bindi or the teep, which is the dot in the middle of the forehead? Is it home where yes is not, is not a nod, but instead is a sideways left head tilt with the word he. So if I ask you a question, are you happy today? What would you say? He. Okay, let's just practice it. Are you happy today? He. That's how you say yes. Is it home where the Muslim call to prayer is heard on loudspeakers five times a day, mingling with the rhythmic beats of an all-day Hindu festival happening in the village somewhere over there and the never-ending honking of thousands of motorists? None of this is home, so why would I call this travel log coming home? Well, it starts with a story, a story told years ago by the executive director of Global Partners, which is the missions and the church planting arm of the Wesleyan Church. So I'm starting with Dennis Jackson's story, but I've updated some of his statistics so that they are right uh, nowadays. And I've also added in some of my own thoughts on the way. So let's hear from Mr. Dennis Jackson. He says this, I heard his words, I saw his tears, I joined his prayer of thanksgiving and praise. For seven years, he said, we were without a home, without a family. It it was as if we were orphans. But God, after seven years of seeking, has given us the Wesleyan Church to really belong to. We are now no longer without a family. We now have a home. And Dr. Jackson writes, he says, what a privilege to welcome the Wesleyan Church of Bangladesh into the greater global Wesleyan family. He says that Bangladesh is one of the most densely populated countries in the world. One over 174 million people occupy an area the size of the U.S. state of Iowa. That's over 1,000 people per square kilometer. And among the people... 89% or 90% are Muslim, 9% are Hindu, and uh, members of the Christian faith number less than 0.5% of the country. And this nation is made up of uh, over 68,000 villages, and very few of these villages have a witness for Christ living among them. Out of 326 people groups represented in the country, 299 are considered least reached in terms of the gospel. Now, in 2006, it had been the dream of Pastor Pastor John Bosch to launch Wesleyan churches in the country uh, that we were in. And so his study of Wesleyan theology and the life of Wesley had given him a 
real passion to see the same kind of wholly transformed lives um, as they spread the gospel, planting churches and initiating ministries of compassion in the country. So he started a church family connection. Churches were planted. Children's ministries were established, including an orphanage called Home of Love, uh, which housed maybe 25 boys. And then there were evangelists who went from door to door to share Christ and, and, and to um, ask people to gather together to learn the Bible and pray. The work was growing, especially reaching people with Hindu backgrounds. However, in the midst of the work being established, yeah, tragedy struck. Because John, his wife Rita, and another passenger in their car were killed in a car accident. And John's mother nearly died as well. And the couple's four-year-old son, he was injured, but he survived. And the deaths of John and Rita left behind an infant church that were absolutely devastated by the loss of their leader. They were orphaned. They were without a home. But God was not yet finished with the church. Mina who's the mother of Pastor John, she intensified her intercession with the Lord, asking him to raise up the church from what seemed like um, yeah, the death of the vision and of the movement. And so her prayer in- included a 40-day fast, even though her critically injured body was recovering from the accident. And then Pastor George Bosch, Uh, which was one brother of Pastor John Bosch, who was senior among the pastors. He filled the leadership gap. And then another one of John's brothers, whose name was Washington, he made contact with the Wesleyan Church through Global Partners to ask about being accepted into the Wesleyan Church. And then then Joshi Bosch, who's the youngest of the four brothers, he returned to his country from Norway to start the long process of adopting his brother's son. It took four years. He had to fight through the courts all the way. And during this time, he gave leadership to the young national church. Then in April the, April the 23rd, 2012, a formal letter of acceptance was signed by the Global Partners General Director, Dr. H.C. Wilson, and the General Board Installation Superintendent, Dr. Joanne Lyon. And on October the 13th, 2012, a team was there to officially welcome the Wesleyan Church of Bangladesh into the Wesleyan Church and with a plaque of recognition, with prayers, and with the unveiling of a welcome banner they had a celebration. So the church in Bangladesh was now part of the global Wesleyan tribe. They had come home. They now had a home. Now, when the Bangladeshi Wesleyan church was established, it was an independent work of 14 churches with an orphanage for 15 boys. But at the end of last year, the Wesleyan church of Bangladesh has 77 churches, has, 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 has 20 Yeah, child development programs, and it has two fully operational orphanages with about 40 children each. I want you to meet Ujjal. He's uh, in this photo with me. He's there at the back with a group of lads from the boys' orphanage. 
he's there. That's Ujjal. But actually, uh, and, and he is an orphan. He was one of the first five boys that John and Rita um, welcomed in as they started the orphanage and then they died. Here's a better picture of him, Ujjal, which is taken by our videographer and our photographer, Justin. Now, Ujjal now is about maybe 24 years old and he's part of the staff there showing the love of Jesus in the lives of the boys welcoming them home, showing them what home looks like. And in, in doing this, Ujjal is living out, you know, the deepest wish of our Heavenly Father and our big brother Jesus. After all, we, we know in the Bible that God calls himself a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. And then verse, eight of, uh, verse 6 of Psalm 68 says, God sets the lonely in families. And so this idea of coming home is one of the deepest hopes of the Christian faith. In fact, Jesus himself says in John chapter 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that, I go, that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And in a sense, friends, we're all orphans. We're all in need of the love of a father who is stable and who is loving and who is caring and who is there, who is mighty, who, who is gentle, and who knows just how to meet our deepest needs and our most complex needs. Jesus said this to his followers right before he died. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I, I, I will come to you. He says, before long, the world will not see me anymore but you will see me he says because I live you will also live on that day you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you Jesus says I will not leave you as orphans and the resurrection of Jesus proves that our that Jesus is our living and resurrected brother that through him we are part of something larger than ourselves that we are adopted into the family of God and that sense of when you come home, it's an infectious feeling. Because when you come home, when you know what home feels like, then you want others to come home too. And Ujel has been creating that sense of home for these young lads, for these orphans. Each of these orphans, whether girls or boys, has their own story. And here's something that I think I knew, um, or if you'd have asked me, I'd have probably been able to work it out. But here's something that I learned while I was away, that not all orphans are the same. Now, we all know that they have their own stories, but I didn't know that there were four ways for us to really categorize orphans. There are partial orphans, there are complete orphans, there are economic orphans, and there are social orphans. And so Joshi, who's the brother of George, the district superintendent, he explained this as, as we were eating lunch in, in, in the boys' orphanage. He explained that a partial orphan is someone who has lost either a mum or a dad, whereas a complete orphan is someone who's lost both their mum and their dad. Then he explained how an economic orphan is one in which the parents aren't able to keep the child. And of course, this is... Um, one of the reasons why the sex trade flourishes 
uh, because parents who are selling their children that they aren't able to keep. Now, while we were there, one of the most maybe poignant moments for me was that we got to meet a mum who was there with her little girl. That mum was, had, had just had a meeting with the staff to maybe take in her daughter that she was not able to afford to look after anymore. And so I met this woman really briefly. And at that time, I didn't know her story, but I saw you know, the sadness and the pathos in her eyes. And then as we left the home that morning, I clearly remember, I can see it in my mind's eye now, I'm walking with the team and we're walking down the road and there is the mum walking with her shoulders down, her, her shoulders heavy and right in front of us is her little girl who had no idea what was happening, uh, what the conversations were happening at that moment and, uh, and it, it, it Knowing what I knew, um, it was an incredibly meaningful and sad moment as this mum ran through all of the possibilities in her mind. However, imagine if those homes hadn't existed. If there was nowhere for that mum to send her girl as as an economic orphan. And so I was sat there with, with, with Joshi, and he asked me, what do you think is the worst kind of orphan? Is it a complete orphan, a partial orphan, an economic orphan, or a social orphan? Now, I had no idea, and I didn't know how to answer, but he went on to explain. He said that the worst kind of orphan is a social orphan, because if you're a partial orphan, it means that you have uh, one mum or dad, if you're a total orphan, it means you have none. If you're an economic orphan, it means that, that, that they can no longer look after you. But being a social orphan, Joshi said, is worse because a social orphan has both of their parents. But maybe they are separated, remarried, and the mum uh, maybe wants her child, but, but the stepdad has no interest in another mouth to feed. And so this child who actually has both of their parents is cast out on the street and is left literally to run wild. And Joshi says that this is the worst case because the child has both parents and they know that they're not wanted. They have no home. And so you can imagine how incredible it is for these two orphanages to be receiving up to 80 children and they have plans to expand. Children who had who have one parent or no parents, whose parents cannot afford to feed them, or perhaps parents who don't want them. So thank God for the Rebecca Wilson Children's Home, and thank God for the Love Your Neighbours Boys Home. Now we have covered a lot of ground this morning, and there are many other stories that I could have told you. Um, You know, like about how when we arrived at the, at the Rebecca Wilson girls' home, how every girl walked up to me and the members of our team and they, and they reached down and they touched each of my feet and then they touched their heart. And then they went on to the next one. This happened over and over and over again. And I didn't know how to process it, how to uh, handle that. 
You know, I could have also told you about how we went to a funeral for Superintendent George's aunt, and uh, she died, and on the same day, they had a funeral. And it was nothing like the funerals that we have here. Um, And if you want to find out more, I can tell you afterwards. I could have told you that. And I could have spent more time explaining how great the food is and how my new favorite cuisine is the Bengali food. It really is. You know, I could have spent more time explaining about the modes of transport, you know, the easy bike, which is like a tuk-tuk, or or the three-wheeler, or the van and the car ferry and the foot ferry uh, that were sometimes loaded so full that I was like, now you understand why you hear about these awful reports of, you know, um, when, these, when these boats capsize and, and, and so many people die. Even racing down the small roads on the back of a motorbike with no helmet and the horn blasting all the time to say to the people in front uh, to move out of the way. You know, I could have told you more about, um, about this church out in the countryside Uh, and being showered with flower petals, just vibrant colors everywhere, and fresh fruit, and the spots on the forehead, and, and, and the green foliage above, like we literally met under a tree. I could have said so much about the, um, about the singing, and the fellowship, and the hospitality, and the otherworldliness of this nation. Uh, Even the fact that while I was there, I didn't give one thought to all the political strife uh, and the social wars that plague our country. I didn't give it one thought while I was there. It was a welcome break, let me tell you. You know, I could have told you about the hundreds of thousands of street sellers, drivers, hustlers. Everyone's trying to make money. All these people who make up yeah, the population of the capital city, Dhaka, a city that is both supremely grimy and supremely alive. And like I said, that what's happening here in Canada is nowhere on their radar at all. It's good to get away sometimes. It's good to see how other people in the world live. And I could have said so much, but I wanted to leave you instead with this image of coming home, of orphans finding a home, this dream that started with a man, John Bosch, who was killed with his wife even before the dream got off the ground, and this, and how he left a son who needed adopting, and how his uncle Joshi fought in the courts of Bangladesh for five years so that he could adopt him, how, how John left a mum, Ma Mina, who was heartbroken, who, but who in her heartbreak prayed into existence the Wesleyan Church of, of, of Bangladesh, a vibrant, growing community of 77 churches under the powerful leadership of, of George Bosch. And not just 77 churches, but also 20 child development programs which mentor both parents and children out in the under-resourced rural areas and of course these two incredible children's homes one for boys and one for girls sadness marked this the start of the wesleyan church here in this country you can't ignore that it was marked with sadness right at the get-go and yet the thing that marked their birth 
also became their ministry. They did what they knew. And I wonder if that's the same for us. That that, that wound that caused us such pain and sorrow, that God can take that thing, that wound, and make it the qualification for us to minister to people who are going through that very same thing. And I wonder what your wound is this morning. And I wonder if you would be able to hand it over to God, even though it's raw, even though it hurts, even though it's real, even though it's there, to hand it over to him. And as that wound scars over, as he heals you, is there a chance that God might be able to use it to reach others later? So I want to leave you with this image. We're at the Rebecca Wilson's girls' home. This is our first day there. We don't know what to expect. We show up at the home, and I've brought one or two of the balls and the frisbees that filled my carry-on suitcase. Sorry, not my carry-on suitcase, but my check luggage. I had none of my own stuff in the check luggage. It was all balls and frisbees that I bought using money from our church. And so I show up there with balls and frisbees, you know, and we're welcomed by the girls. And, and uh, you know, and like I said, there's that wonderful image of them as they touch our feet and then their heart. And I know that my defenses are already toppling. And then the girls and the orphanage mums show us around. You know, the classrooms and the bedrooms, or the bunk beds, and then we play football. And the girls in their beautiful saris are, are seriously booting the ball as hard as they can at me in goal. And they're really good. And they're laughing, and I'm laughing, and it's just too amazing. And then, of course, uh, as any mission trip, or even as you know me, there's got to be a photo and so our, our Daltonless and amazing uh, photographer, he gathers us all together and we're lined up and we're about to have our photo taken. You know, it's the one that you can see here. And I'm standing there at the back. And I'm happy. I'm in my, I'm in my happy place, this big white Welsh man about to have a photo in a foreign country with a bunch of people that he's just starting to get to know. I love photos. And then all of a sudden, as we're getting ready, um, I feel a small hand reach out. And, and, and holds mine. And, and it's not like a bold hand grab. It's like a tentative, you know, is it happening or is it not kind of hand grab? And my first thought is, is this allowed? Is this okay? Because you can take the pastor out of Canada, but you can't take Canada out of the pastor. And I know what our plan to protect and our safe church action plan rules are. And it, I don't know if it means holding someone's hand, but I can't ignore those little fingers and you can't even see her there and because i think that this is just something for me 
and it feels like time slows down. It feels like I'm standing on holy ground. I feel like that God has stepped into my space through this tentative little touch. And I feel that as that girl held my hand, I don't even know her, her name, but as she grabbed my hand, I felt like I was coming home. <laughs>